the first two weeks, PCs just did not want to participate in life. After the first couple of weeks, one day he stood at the gate and put his head out and said, I'm okay now, let's do this. He took to the training like a superstar. PC spotted this gorgeous little blonde dot in the crowd and he was mesmerised by her. And this little girl was mesmerised by TC as well. And after the demonstration had finished, we brought Amelia in. They had this connection that none of us had ever seen before. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane. This land I live on is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and pay my heartfelt respects to their ancestors, past and present. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. This week's show is brought to you by Equitana Australia. Equitana is happening from the 15th to the 18th of November this year in Melbourne. Pedro Torres will be there this year. Pedro has multiple world European and national championship titles under his belt for working equitation. He is the most successful rider and a living legend in the history of the sport. After much success with working equitation, Pedro is now making waves in the dressage world. Pedro is a rider first and foremost and rides the discipline his horse tells him to ride or that he feels a horse has the most potential for. Pedro is doing a masterclass at Equitana this year on the Friday from 9.30 to 12.30. This is a ticketed event. To get your tickets, go to equitana.com.au. I hope to see you there. Make sure you say hi if you see me. In this episode, I speak with Tanya McDermott from Hero. In conjunction with Harness Racing Victoria, she is working to make sure all standard bred horses have a life after racing, whether they are retired, never make the track at all, or have just had enough and don't want to race anymore. The best part about this program and what Harness Racing Australia are doing is that they can start to gather real stats about where their horses are going and what these horses are doing that have been registered for racing once they retire. This is sorely missing for all areas of the equestrian world in my opinion. Knowing how many horses are leaving an industry and where they are going is so important to understand. The wastage in sports like thoroughbred racing is evident, but the statistics are flawed at best. This organisation is making inroads into making the world a better place for all standard breads. I love it. Here is Tanya. Tanya, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Thank you for the opportunity. It's exciting. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? I probably live um, a lot of people's dream in that I'm able to combine something that I'm really passionate about with my work. So I run the Harness Racing Victoria Hero Program and the Hero Program is a project which facilitates opportunities for horses coming out of harness racing to go on to a new life once they've retired as pleasure horses. Great. And is HERO an acronym? It is. It stands for Harness Education and Rehoming Opportunities. But I have to be absolutely honest with you. I loved the name HERO, so I came up with HERO and then created the acronym to fit in with it. Yeah, it works well. I like it. It's, um, you don't forget it, that's for sure. Right? It's something that I could remember. Yeah, it's definitely been a brand, although we're only um, three years into the project. It's a brand that's become really well recognised, not only within the harness racing industry, but throughout the broader equestrian world as well. It just seems to click with people. So I think it was a good choice. Yeah, I think it was an excellent choice. So first of all, I'd like to hear a little bit more about you and your background. Did you actually grow up with horses? I did grow up with horses, although I lived in a family that um, was in suburbia. So I grew up in a small country town in Victoria called Ararat. Most people recognise Ararat as the place you drive through if you're driving from Melbourne to, to Adelaide. Mm -hmm. um, that's about all that the town's recognised for. It had about 8,000 people. We lived in uh, a commission house 
Um, so I grew up in suburbia, but my family always had a very strong interest in harness racing or the trots as people more, more regularly recognise it. So from as young as I can remember, uh, we went on a lot of family outings to the trots. My dad was um, very strongly interested and as a result, it was something that we just trailed along with and really enjoyed. So I always had a passion for the animal. Um, but it was sort of at a distance, I suppose. As a teenager, uh, like a lot of girls of my age in that era, when we're talking about the 80s, uh, I had posters all over my walls of horses and I didn't discriminate against the breed. I had thoroughbreds, I had Arabs, I had any pretty picture that looked nice. I collected little uh, miniature horse collectibles of any size and shape. So I was really passionate about the horse, but in terms of having a pony in my backyard or learning to ride when I was barely out of nappies. That wasn't my story. And when did you get your first horse? What age were you? Well, technically, in terms of my first riding horse, I was 35. Ah, oh, fantastic. Old enough to keep them, not have to worry, in a really good state in life. Yes, I, I was lucky enough to marry a third-generation horseman. So that was really the beginning of my introduction to being involved hands-on with horses. Um, I had no skills whatsoever when I first met Graham. Um, he will tell you I drove a little bit of track work for him. So he's a harness racing trainer. Mm -hmm. I drove a very little bit of track work for him and I could sit behind the quietest, most sensible horse in the stable and it would turn into a raving lunatic in my hand <laughs> because I just didn't have the skills or knowledge of how to manage them. But Gently, gently, he uh, encouraged me and supported me and I did learn to drive, but I was never any good at it. And look, honestly, it took me 10 years to feel comfortable about just handling them, leading them, walking them onto a float, that type of thing. Um, it was something that did cause me quite a lot of angst early days. So could it be said that they make it look really easy in harness racing and, and in the training when you see the horses going round and round there's a lot more skill involved than it to, than what meets the eye most definitely anybody who underestimates the skill and talent that's involved in taking a young standard bred horse through from yearling stage which is when they are normally broken into harness and um, their life journey begins through to the racetrack and actually winning races uh, I, I take my hat off to them because there are so many challenges and so much skill and knowledge involved, skill and knowledge that's been passed down, as I said, in my husband's case, over three generations. But he's also travelled overseas and worked in Europe as well to learn from the horsemen over there. Um, and most of the trainers and drivers in Australia will tell you they never stop learning and evolving and improving the way that they go about working with these horses. So absolutely my utmost, much, utmost respect to the people who are working with these guys as racehorses. And when your husband went over to Europe, what was it that they did different over there that they do here? What did he learn? Do you know? Look, it's, it's very much um, about one-on-one -on -one working with the horses. So in Europe, um, they only have trotters. In Australia, we have trotters and paces. And traditionally, we've had a lot more paces than we have trotters. The numbers are evening up now as interest in trotting is growing and expanding. But in Europe, they only have trotters exclusively. So they have been the top of the tree in terms of um, their skill and knowledge for a long time. And my husband has a specific interest in training trotters, which most people in, in the industry will tell you is a little bit more challenging, certainly frustrating um, than the paces. And look, he learned very much about um, going back to basics, I suppose. In Australia, for example, years ago, to get a trotter to trot fluently, the old timers used to put very heavy weighted shoes on their front feet. Um, to make them physically lift up their legs and actually move in the trotting gait. It was almost harder for them to gallop than it was to trot. So therefore, with the weight, they had to trot. Mm -hmm. um, Europe, they have a very much reverse psychology. And in fact, a lot of the European trotters race without front shoes at all. Um, so it's an entirely, diff entirely different approach to training the trotters. Um, and it's something that's very much being integrated into Australian trotting. Now there's a lot of European influence through the bloodlines 
and also the people working with the horses out here now. So um, just, yeah, a, an entirely different approach to working with the horses. Fantastic. And who was your first riding horse? My first riding horse was the fabulous Frank. Uh, the fabulous Frank raced as Sinatra Castle was his racing name. So um, obvious where his name came from. And he had uh, a wonderful story. Frank's mum was a horse called Yoronga Songbird. And she was a champion two and three year old uh, filly, the best of her age group. She went to stud and it's fair to say she wasn't as successful at stud, but Frank was very well bred. His mum, as I said, was Yoronga Songbird and his dad was a horse called Village Jasper, who's been an extraordinarily successful stallion in Australia as well. Unfortunately, when Frank was born, um, his two front legs were quite twisted. Uh, in fact, he stands very pigeon-toed. He was therefore retained by his breeder who would normally have sold him as a yearling and we had had a relationship with this gentleman, a lovely man called John Bagshaw, and he offered us the opportunity to try Frank. And we knew from the very outset that his chances of being a racehorse were pretty limited, um, but because he was so well-bred, we thought that it was worth giving him the opportunity. So my husband, Graham, worked with him as a young horse, and we actually got him to the races as a two-year-old. He had three races, but unfortunately, the way his legs were conformed we're just putting far too much pressure on his joints. So it was obvious that he wasn't able, he did have some racing ability, but he wasn't able to produce it because um, he had some discomfort when he was racing. So after three starts as a two-year-old, Frank was retired from racing. Um, and at that stage, Graham said to me, what are we gonna do with Frank? We've always had uh, a policy where we've rehomed our horses at the end of their career. Mm -hmm. whether it be um, that they've been successful on the racetrack or they didn't make it to the racetrack, we've always felt very strongly that they should have a life beyond racing. So we had always gone down that path. So Frank was the next one to come along who'd been through our stable, who wasn't uh, any longer viable as a racehorse and who needed a new home. At that time, I had gone through some um, difficult personal circumstance. Um, I'd lost a baby when he was two weeks old, which was a really difficult time in my life. Mm. And that was a couple of years earlier. And I decided that I needed a new focus and something new to concentrate my efforts on, which is how I came to make the um, somewhat bold, some might have said silly decision to break Frank into saddle and to learn how to ride at exactly the same time. Wow. Well... Life can't get any worse than that, can it? So it, um, it's often the, the lowest points in our lives that kind of give us a new sense of bravery, really, because you kind of think, well, what's the worst that can happen? So I think it sounds completely logical that you would do something like that. There was definitely that. Um, and just, a, yeah, a real overwhelming desire to find a new love in my life. Yeah. Um, so I was lucky because I said to Graham, what do you think about breaking Frank to saddle ourselves? Um, and he, he has done a lot of work with a lot of young horses over the time and he very readily identified that Frank had a fantastic nature. He was incredibly laid back and bearing in mind when he retired, he was a late two-year-old. So when he'd let down from racing and I was thinking about doing this, he was a very early three-year-old. Um, but he had such a fabulous temperament and a great nature and was so laid back and relaxed about things that Graham said, if you want to give it a go, why not? So it was it was a ridiculous set of circumstances. I literally opened up the local paper, went through the for sale ads. I found a stock saddle and some gear for sale because, of course, we had all the racing gear that we needed, but nothing to do with riding horses. Mm. Uh, so I bought a second-hand saddle and a second-hand bridle. And we went out one day and we tied Frank up. And between the two of us, after about 20 minutes, we managed to do what we thought was right in terms of putting a saddle on him because neither of us had done it before. Um, and literally 15 minutes later, I was sitting on his back riding what? him around. A very <laughs> and it's, it's, it's as crazy as that, Tracy. It really is. Um, and that's the amazing thing about standard bred horses that you could, it sounds ridiculous. And I'm sure that there would be people listening saying that never happened. I absolutely 120% promise you it did. Um, and Frank just stood there and went, well, I have no idea what you're doing, but I don't seem as though I'm in too much danger. So just 
carry on as you were. So um, after doing that two or three times and realising that Frank seemed quite cool with all of this, I did go out and find myself an instructor and uh, from then on progressed to having weekly lessons with Frank, who I must say was an absolute out-and-out champion. Never, ever gave me one moment uh, to be worried or frightened. I'm naturally the kind of person that once things go a bit pear-shaped, I'm, I'm not particularly resilient, it's fair to say. So uh, had he given me a fright or caused me any concern in those early days, I'm not sure I would have been brave enough to pursue riding, but he didn't do that. And as a result now, I, I can't even imagine looking back, um, you know, 15, 20 years down the track, I can't believe that he's been able to give me something so special and such a huge part of my life. Do you think he knew? Did you talk to him about your I, troubles and why he wanted I, to do it? No, look, I just, I'm not sure. I think... I think he knew I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he had no idea what I was doing and that he had to look out for both of us. Um, I don't know. He went on, Frank, um, subsequently, after giving me a fantastic start and I got to progress further and was wanting to do more things, Frank's physical challenges made it difficult for him and I did look for a new home for him. And he went on to do seven years with Riding for the Disabled. So that gives you some indication of what an incredible creature he was. He's had a couple of homes. He came home after he was finished at RDA, and he's had a couple of homes since. He currently is um, just a weekend pleasure riding pony with a lovely lady locally. I think Frank's 15 or 16 now. Um, Just an incredible horse, a remarkable horse. He's... He's got a big personality. Um, as he's evolved and got older, he's really found his personality and he has plenty of quirks, but um, everybody that's ever had anything to do with Frank loves him. He's, he's quite well-renowned amongst the people who've worked with him. And I love that you know every home he's been to and, and are keeping a record of, of where he's been. That's fantastic. Absolutely. He is never far from uh, my thoughts. Um, I'm friends on Facebook with the lady who has him. As I said, he's only about 40 minutes away from me. And in reality, he'll never be too far. And he'll certainly always have a home here. When retirement comes, there'll be a bottom paddock for him and Frank will live out his days here. Um, he's he's given me such an enormous gift. I could never repay him. Mm, wow, that's beautiful. So who came after Frank? After Frank came Dave. I love all <laughs> these names. Frank and Dave. It's very quirky, isn't it? So Dave's racing name was Dave Starr. And Dave Starr was owned by some very, very prominent racing owners in Victoria, Merv and Meg Butterworth. And anybody who follows harness racing would know of Merv and Meg. They've spent an enormous amount of money and they've had an enormous amount of success in harness racing um, in past years and they still do now and it was the beginning of a really lovely partnership with Merv and Meg and also uh, Karen Manning who was his trainer and Karen is also someone who would very much be known to some of your listeners. Karen is the most successful harness racing driver female in the world. Um, She lives in Victoria in a little town called Great Western which ironically is just near Ararat where I grew up. But uh, Karen is a wonderful person and she has an enormous commitment to life after racing. And through Karen and Merv and Meg, I was offered the beautiful Dave. Dave began his life in New Zealand and was bought out. Merv and Meg purchased him and brought him out to Australia. He had quite a successful racing career in Victoria and then went across to Western Australia and finished his racing career in Western Australia. And he was the best trotter in Western Australia for quite a number of years. Um, So when he retired, Merv and Meg actually made the decision to bring him home to Victoria, which was quite a commitment. It was uh, not an inexpensive exercise to truck a horse back from WA across the Nullarbor. But they made the decision to bring him home because they wanted him to have nothing but the best in his retirement. So Dave came home to me and... um, Dave taught me how to ride, I can honestly say. Frank gave me the basics, but Dave was the horse that really taught me to be a horse person. Yeah, Frank allowed you to be a passenger. Yeah, absolutely he did. Absolutely he did. And he just went along and did whatever was asked of him. 
Dave asked a lot of questions. He was very adamant that he needed to be sure that he was being asked to do something and that I really, really wanted him to do it. He was uh, quite a hot horse. And I'll never forget, uh, I was having riding lessons at an arena across the road from our house. And as I said, I had weekly lessons every Wednesday afternoon. And Dave and I, for the first probably three months, would get to the front gate and we would do 360s for about 10 minutes, just because Dave needed to ask the question whether I was really sure that I really wanted to go and have the lesson. And once he was really sure and I told him I absolutely wanted him to do it, we would wander across and we would have the lesson. Um, he was an extraordinary horse. He took a long time to build up trust, but once I had his trust, he would walk underwater for me, He or over water probably. Um, he was an amazing horse. And I remember when I first got him, he was so hot. I thought he'll never be a trail riding horse, which is my first love. That's what I, I enjoy doing the most. Um, and he went on to be just the best horse. And I had him probably, goodness, I don't know how long I had Dave for, probably five or six years. He was quite old when he retired from racing. I think he was 11 when he retired from racing. Mm. Uh, so he was with me for the duration of the, the majority of his pleasure riding career. But he then was rehomed to a lovely lady who, again, just lives not too far from me on a farm. So he is effectively semi-retired now. So she takes him out for a ride every now and again. He lives in the front paddock with her cows and has a wonderful retirement. So he was an incredibly special horse to me. Um, Frank was super, but as I said, Dave is the horse that I consider really taught me how to be a rider because he pushed buttons in me and I was able to push buttons in him. Um, and we made a lot of progress. I mean, just to get to the stage where we could walk out the front gate without him doing a circle was um, a really monumental moment. And to get him to the stage where I could take him out trail riding and he was entirely relaxed and would walk on the buckle was really special. And it's I suppose that was the first time I understood the journey with retraining horses and retraining standard bread specifically. And the journey is something that I've come to really treasure and enjoy the most yeah it's a it's not quite as simple as it was with frank is it it's not really a a pop a saddle on and hope for the best scenario they, they have to retrain themselves in every way you're teaching them something completely new once you back them it is that's right that and look i suppose when you look back on it that's right all i really did with frank was back him and he just went along with whatever i was doing um he did learn some skills some ridden skills but uh, you're right, there's definitely two, you can ride standard breads, you can, you can have them at a stage where they can be ridden, but they're not educated riding horses for quite a long period of time. But that's exactly the same with any horse that you're teaching from scratch to be a ridden horse. So I get a bit frustrated sometimes with people who tend to be a little bit negative about some of the things that you have to work through with the standees. And I suppose getting them to the cantering stage is one of the things that people find a little bit difficult. But if you give them the foundation work and you understand that it is something entirely new for them and you understand that they're still building up new muscles and they're going from pulling a sulky to working from behind and learning how to use their hind quarters for the first yeah, time. Yeah, it's the opposite end of the body. The sulky's all shoulders. Completely different. Um, and once you understand that and, and appreciate it and give them the time and the patience that they need, there's no reason why they can't go on to do anything that you aspire. And think of the sense of achievement you get with a standee as well, you know, getting that first canter under saddle and actually feeling them collect up underneath you. It'd be pretty awesome, I think. That's what I was saying about that journey. Um, just going out with them one day and teaching them something and having them look at you or, or give you the impression that they have absolutely no idea what it is that you're asking them. And then the next day you ask them again and they go, oh, yeah, that's what we were doing yesterday. Yeah, that's cool. I get that. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget a, a story. One of my retrainers uh, is a lady called Fiona Deering, and she worked with a standy called Artok. And Artok had, I think from memory, it was 254 race starts and raced until he was 12. So he was, uh, and he was also a pacer. So racing was 
all that he knew. And I, she tells a funny story of trying to ask him to turn right because, of course, in Victoria they race on and the left-hand left. lane all the time. So when she started asking him to turn to the right and to bend to the right, she said she was adamant that the horse was saying to her, lady, are you crazy? If I turn right, I will lose the race. <laughs> and it's such, I, I can so imagine in the horse's mind him going, we don't do that. We never go that way. Why would you want me to do that way? And just like she said, we'll lose the race if I turn that way. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that um, you have to put yourself in the horse's mind and understand why it is they're doing something. Um, another one that bobs up often is when I ask my standee to go into a trot, he throws his head up in the air. And, of course, that's relating back to when a standard bred is asked to move out from a walk to a trot or a pace or whatever it might be, whenever they're asked to go faster, generally they have a head check on. So their natural inclination is to race with their head up in the air because it's what they've done throughout their racing life. Mm. Um, so it's important for people retraining them to understand that that's just a natural reaction and there's some work to be done to, to let them know that it's okay that they can actually go faster, that piece of gear is no longer a part of their life and that it's actually okay for them to bring their head down, for them to relax a little bit and to learn to work through their body. And during this time, what were you doing for work? I believe you were a journalist, are a journalist? I've had, I've had a few different jobs, Tracy, but um, I started out as a journalist. That was my first love, writing, and um, to be honest, I still get the opportunity every now and again to do some writing and some media work and it is definitely something that's very close to my heart. But yes, I started out as a journalist. Uh, for seven years I worked in Ararat at the Ararat Advertiser as a journalist. When I moved to Bendigo to be closer to my husband, I took up a role in a public relations firm which still had a very strong writing component. Uh, and after I'd done that for about 18 months, I was actually given the opportunity to work with Harness Racing Victoria in a marketing and public relations role. So uh, while all of my jobs have kind of evolved from the written work and the journalist component, it's never been too far away. I've had different jobs along the way. After the 10 years stint with Harness Racing Victoria, I moved out and did some different things. I worked actually as a uh, a personal assistant to a lady called Margot Spaulding, who is a former Telstra Australian Businesswoman of the Year. She worked with a company called Jimmy Possum who made the most extraordinary furniture. So that was something entirely different for me. And I had a few other roles, but um, three months, three years ago rather, I was given the opportunity by HRV to come back in the role of manager of the HERO program, which at that stage didn't exist. So um, it was an invitation to not only manage a program but to develop it and um, create it as I saw fit, given that I had had this history in working in the rehoming environment, that I had built up a pretty strong rapport with the industry people, with the trainers and the owners and the drivers and the breeders. So I was known within the industry. Uh, people understood that I had a passion for finding life after racing opportunities for horses. So it was just kind of a, I suppose the planets aligned in a lot of regards, the fact that HRV wanted to create this program and I was in the right place at the right time to be offered the opportunity to oversee it. And why did they want to, was something happening, was something bubbling, was it um, people, were people asking for this? What was it in HRV that they decided this is what we need to do? There were a few different reasons why the program actually kicked off. There's always been a pretty strong commitment within the racing industry to life after racing, and that's something that people outside of harness racing probably don't understand. But there were a lot of people in a lot of different places who had been working with standard breds, educating them as saddle horses and finding them fantastic homes for quite a long period of time. But they were off doing it without any support from the industry and from the overarching body being harness racing Victoria. So firstly, there was a, a desire to give those people some support and some assistance. But also um, animal welfare within racing obviously has taken a much higher profile in recent years than it has previously. 
Um, the thoroughbred industry in Victoria has had an off-the-track program for quite a number of years and they had been building up their profiles. The greyhound industry had likewise been building up um, a rehoming program here called the Greyhound Adoption Program or GAP. Mm -hmm. um, and I shout out to Gap because I do have a Gap Greyhound and she's an absolute joy in my life. So I'm a massive supporter of life after racing in all forms. Mm. Um, but the fact that I suppose harness racing in some regards was a little bit behind the eight ball, that we didn't have an industry developed, an industry supported program that was out there proactively um, developing opportunities for standard breads in their life outside of racing. So we were able to secure some funding support from the state government, which was enormously important in getting the HERO program up and running. So the program uh, was initially and is still 50% funded by the state government and 50% funded by Harness Racing Victoria. So without that funding support, it would have been very difficult to get the program up and running. But it was definitely something that the industry recognised was needed that the broader community recognised was an essential part of a vibrant and successful racing industry. And it coincided with the strong focus on animal welfare within racing across all of the codes. Mm. And are you able to track all horses that are bred, registered and then retired? Is there actually in Victoria now, is it that specific? Traditionally, it wasn't. Um, certainly in terms of the numbers of horses that were bred, registered and raced, all of those numbers were very well recorded. What happened to the horses beyond racing traditionally was not known. There was anecdotal evidence that we, we could track some of the horses, but we didn't know. In uh, recent years, probably since um, a couple of years ago, Harness Racing Australia actually, which is the overarching national body, introduced what's known as a deregistration form. So when a horse retires from racing, the owner is required to complete the form and return that to Harness Racing Victoria, uh, Harness Racing Victoria or Harness Racing Australia, it's passed on. Um, and that indicates what their intentions are for that horse once it retires from racing. So in the last couple of years, yes, we have been able to actually document exactly where, of the, where those horses are going and what they're doing. But do any of those trainers honestly say that they're sending them to the doggers? There is, um, <clears throat> there is on the form an opportunity to acknowledge that the horse has been euthanised. Yeah. Um, and there are reasons why the horse has been euthanised. Um, so, yes, the expectation, it is an official form, um, and it must be signed and it does go back through the authorities. So any trainer who did not tell the truth could be subject to um, action via the stewards and the racing authorities. So there's certainly an expectation that they will tell the truth. And as I said, there is an opportunity to indicate if the horse has been euthanised and for what reason the horse was euthanised. Um, so there's no... Um, well, obviously, we support and advocate for life after racing. Um, we also understand that an owner or a trainer, it is their prerogative to make the decision what happens to the horse when it retires from racing. Mm, yeah, you can't control everybody's choices. No, and, and there is no... Um, while we have our personal opinions, a trainer that makes a decision to euthanise a horse is within their rights. Mm. So we, there's no repercussions for a trainer who does do that. Um, so a trainer who is honest and acknowledges that by the deregistration form, we're not going to ring them up and say, why did you do that? What were you thinking? Um, so I would hope that all trainers would be open and honest in the decisions that they make. And do you have any idea the numbers of horses that are retired in a year or in a month? Look, I don't have um, specifics in terms of um, number figures, but I can tell you that Harness Racing Australia, through the deregistration forms that they have received, and bear in mind that this, these are national figures, mm -hmm. have discovered that around 65% of the racing population are going on to retirement homes, whether that be being retained by their owners um, as a paddock horse whether it is being rehomed, re-educated and going on to a life after racing. 
um, a, a further around about 15% uh, retire and go into the breeding component of the industry. So there are mares or stallions that go on to be utilised for breeding. Mm -hmm. So the numbers that we have via the deregistration form show us that around about 80% of our horses are going on to life after racing. And bear in mind of the 20% that perhaps don't, some of those will have suffered an illness or an injury that requires for them to be euthanised just through the course of being a horse. Yeah, that's a really high percentage. We're pretty happy with those figures. I mean, there is always room for improvement and there are always those in um, the broader community who have an expectation of 100%. Um, those of us who are realistic within the horse world understand that a 100% figure is very difficult to achieve. I would have thought it would have been at about 30%. So I'm pretty impressed with 80%. Yeah, look, we, we're comfortable with that. But as I say, there's always room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't mean you stop and don't do your work. You absolutely drive for 100. It most definitely doesn't. It, um, it most definitely means that we sit back and we say, yep, we're pretty good and we've had ourselves on the back and we say there's nothing else that needs to be done. But they were good good pro positive figures that show that life after racing is strongly on the radar of the racing industry, certainly here in Victoria and indeed Australia-wide. So that, that was encouraging, most definitely. Yeah, those national figures, that's really impressive. And so what does HERO do? Is it about education? Is it about practical hands-on work? What is it that you actually tangibly do? We do lots and lots of things. So at um, an industry level, and one of the things we're proudest of is that we do work very, very closely with the racing industry. So we are actually the first point of contact for an owner or a trainer who has a horse that retires from racing. So they will call, they will say, we have a horse. Um, it could be a 10-year-old who's had 150 starts and won 20 races, or it could be a two-year-old who's had a very short racing preparation, clearly has no aptitude for racing and is not going to make it on the track, and everything that fits in between. Uh, they will ring us and say we have a horse that we'd like to donate to the HERO program and all horses that come to the program are donated by their owners. We don't um, purchase mm -hmm. the horses. And they will then be placed on our waiting list and once we have a retraining opportunity available, they'll come into the program and they'll commence retraining with a view to becoming mostly a ridden pleasure horse, but we do have a handful of horses that come through and go on to be recreational uh, harness horses as well and other pursuits we do place a few as companion horses we have the older horse that doesn't adapt or isn't comfortable being a riding horse so we do have the odd one or two that's better suited as a companion horse but the vast majority who come through the program are re-educated and rehomed as riding horses so they'll commence a retraining program and within uh, probably six to eight weeks some are a little bit quicker, some uh, take more time. We're able to have them educated up to a very basic level and we don't suggest that our horses are Grand Prix dressage horses ready to go out and take on the equestrian world, but we have them educated up to a basic level where we've pushed the buttons enough to know that they're safe and sensible under saddle and they're ready for someone to take them on as a project with the uh, inclination to put some additional time, effort and training into them to build them up to be a really successful riding horse. So then they are resold on into homes and they go off and do a whole lot of different things, whether it be adult riding, it might be pony club, it could be trail riding. We have horses that do three-day eventing, we have horses that do show jumping, we have horses in riding for the disabled and um, equine-assisted therapy and just about every other pursuit that you can think of. So off they go and they have a fabulous life. So that's a key part of what we do. But a big part of what Hero has been able to do is to break down those really um, strong pre-existing stereotypes around standard bred. And we all know what they are, that they are ugly, that they have big heads, that they are very heavily built, that they are ugly and horrible to ride, that they won't canter that they'll pace under saddle, um, all of those things that probably 20 or 30 years ago were a reasonable 
description of what a standard bread looked and performed like, but really uh, quite different to the modern day standard bread, who's had a strong injection of American blood lines, who's a much more refined horse, who's a very pretty horse in many regards, who's a very athletic horse, who's a very intelligent horse who can adapt to all manner of pursuits if you put the training in. Uh, so a big part of what we've done is to get out amongst people and just show them what the modern day standard bread looks like and break down those stereotypes. What's the temperament of these guys? They're incredible. They really are incredible. People underestimate what these horses gain through their education as racehorses. A lot of um, pleasure people traditionally got them and had a feeling that they had to get rid of everything they'd ever learned as a racehorse and start from scratch. But the things that people don't realise is the day-to-day -day handling that they've had, um, the fact that they're, you know, they've been shod a million times, so they're terrific for the farrier. They've been on and off a float a hundred times, so they're terrific to load, they're very easy to manage, that they are accustomed to being out in paddocks with other horses, so generally they're very well socialised, that they have spent half their life following a car around, so things like traffic and vehicles don't bother them. Um, and they just really enjoy being around people. So there are a lot of attributes from a racing standard bred that transition across to being a pleasure standard bred really well. And we just find that they are so easygoing and so cruisy. Um, people are really surprised, really surprised. I guess, too, people have a perception around a racing horse uh, coming from the thoroughbred temperament. And I love and adore thoroughbreds. And I think that there's a terrific uh, market for and a great life after racing for off-the-track thoroughbreds. But they are a very different beast to off-the-track standardbreds in terms of their temperament and their ability to come back to being a recreational horse. We actually ride quite a lot of our race standard breads here. Um, most of the horses that we have in race training are educated under saddle and it's nothing for us to take out one of the race horses in full work and go for a pleasure ride around the block. And he'll trot along happily alongside his mate um, and you would think that he's been pleasure riding his whole life and he can be in full work, have raced the day before, be racing the day after and easily adapts back. And I think that's probably testament to their temperament and their ability to adapt. Mm, so he's completely able to discern the difference. They seem to be. It's extraordinary. Um, even when you first throw the saddle on them as racehorses, they just... Um, yeah, they just, they have a level of trust with the people who are working with them. And that's a big thing. I always say to the people who take on um, our hero horses, one of the biggest things is the relationship that you build up with the horses. Once you have a strong relationship with your standee, he will build up, he or she will build up trust in what you're asking. And even when they're uncertain, they'll do it because they trust you. Uh, and it's such a big part of their temperament and why they're such great horses. And in every industry that there is, no matter whether it's dressage or racing or, you know, pleasure riding, there are people who train in different ways. Have you, because um, I have a standing myself and he was a winner on the track, but he was quite abused. So have you had many of those horses come through or have you only got the good news stories? Look, I'd have to be honest with you, Tracy. Um, I don't come across that component of the industry. I think that the people who are mistreating horses uh, in all aspects of equestrian sport are definitely in the minority. Mm. I know that they are out there and certainly there are stories of um, horses that have come out of racing that seem to have had a difficult history. I can say with absolute honesty that the horses that come to the HERO program rarely have any lingering uh, issues that are as a result of their involvement in racing. Um, and I do say that with my hand on my heart and in all honesty. There are, as you say, there are always people in all walks of life and everywhere dealing with animals and particularly horses who have training methods that don't necessarily sit well with the rest of us. But mm -hmm. I would consider that the majority of what my horses have learned, the Hero Program's horses have learned as racehorses, has been a very positive experience for them. Mm, and that's really important because there's the, um, I talk a lot on this program with some amazing trainers and we talk about learned helplessness. 
So it's really important to be able to get a horse like that off the track that doesn't have any kind of trauma in it. You know, it's okay for it to be asking questions and having different personalities, but you don't want that defrosting stage where a horse finally wakes up from the trauma it's had with racing. So it's good to hear that they're adaptable and accepting and and open and intelligent horses. We find that almost from day dot, um, and a lot of the racing trainers will will give us a very um, honest assessment of um, the horses and their personality. And you find from day one that they all have these big personalities. And many of the things that the racing trainers will tell us about them definitely come to the fore when you're re-educating them as riding horses. And it's it's actually a lot of fun to get to know all their individual quirks and their personalities. And I don't think you would see that side of the horses if they were coming out of the racing industry with um, a significant degree of trauma. Um, certainly we have some horses that come into the program that have had racing injuries. That's inevitable. Um, the good thing about our program is that we have full disclosure. So when a horse is given to Hero, the racing owner or trainer gives us some paperwork that gives us a full background of any um, physical issues that they've had. So we know exactly what we're working with and we're able to educate and then place the home, the horse into a home that's suited according to its physical capabilities. So um, often things like tendon injuries, for example, which are very common in racing, um, are something that don't impact in any way, shape or form on the horse once it goes on to be a pleasure horse. So we're able to give that reassurance to the people that take the hero horses on as well, that yes, the horse has had this injury in the past. Yes, its leg might look a little bit thicker than the other one, but it won't cause it any problems. So we always know why that horse was retired from racing, whether it was a, a physical issue or whether it was just simply a lack of ability or a lack of inclination to want to be a racehorse. How many horses? So you've been running Hero for three years, is that correct? That's correct, yes. How many horses have you taken in and rehomed in that time? We've had each year on our books, um, we've built the numbers up. I think in the first year we were around about 150 and I've just done the numbers for the past 12 months. And between horses that we have rehomed, we have in training or we have on the books ready to come in, we were around about 200 at the end of the financial year just gone. So they are the numbers that we're working on. And I've got to be honest, Tracy. That had us at just about capacity um, with the resources that we had available. So we've now reassessed and we're building our retrainer numbers because we can't keep up with the industry demand. Uh, Yeah, there's got to be more than 200 horses a year in Victoria that are finishing racing. Yes, definitely there are. It's important to understand, though, Hero's not the only way a horse can transition out of racing into a new home. Um, there are so still trainers like, can do it themselves as well. They can place the horses themselves, and there are also some people outside of the Hero program doing fantastic work, re-educating and placing horses as well. So while we have uh, encapsulated quite a lot of the people who are working with off the track standard breads, we certainly haven't encapsulated everybody. And there are some people who are working independently who are happy working independently, which is brilliant. Um, so it's not the only means for horses to exit racing and then go on to a life after racing. What's the most, uh, can you give me one of the memorable horses that you've brought through your program in the last three years? Most definitely. There's one who very much springs to mind and he's a horse who's had quite a lot of media attention. His racing name was The Culture. So his stable name was TC Um, and TC had had a a short but very successful racing life. I think he had 26 race starts for 10 wins and on the track he was a speedster. So he was a horse who raced best over short distances and he ran very quick times and he loved to be out in front running. So he was your ultimate racehorse. He just got out there and went. He had a very successful career um, with a trainer down in the Western District And then he moved to one of our more uh, professional race trainers, a guy called Andy Gaff and his wife, Kate. Kate and Andy had the horse for um, a reasonable period of time, but they approached Hero and they said, he doesn't want to be a racehorse anymore. 
He's become very sour on life. He's not interested. When we go to get him out of the stables, he doesn't want to be involved in the day-to-day -day operation. And I should say, this is quite unusual. Most of the racehorses, when you go to get them out of their stable in the morning, they're pretty enthusiastic. They stand there, they get their gear put on, they go out and do their training, and they're pretty happy with their life. They're enthusiastic and they're happy. PC wasn't. Um, and while he still had a lot to offer, he had no physical injuries. Um, he was a successful racehorse, as I said. Um, his owner, in conjunction with Andy and Kate, made the decision that he wasn't happy, he didn't want to do it anymore, and they would retire him. So he came to the Hero Program, and he went to our retrainers at Kobe Lodge, Warren and Bronwyn Cochran, who've been involved with Hero from the outset. And for the first two weeks of arriving at Kobe Lodge, PC stood in the corner of his paddock. He didn't want to talk to people. He didn't want to be involved. He wasn't interested in being caught. He just did not want to participate in life. And I remember Warren and Roman saying to me, we're just not sure about TC. Um, we know physically he's fine. He's eating okay, uh, but he doesn't want to be here. He's just not interested. So they made the decision. They've been around racing standard breads and retired standard breads for a lot of time, and they knew just to leave him alone. So that's what we did. We left him alone. And after the first couple of weeks, one day he stood at the gate and put his head out and said, I'm okay now, let's do this. He took to the training like a superstar. He adapted to it. He learned to love it really, really quickly. He was fantastic under saddle. He was very relaxed. He was very cruisy. He was very willing. So he went through the training program. Everybody loved TC because he was such a cool dude. And we loved the fact that he was such a good racehorse as well. Uh, and so it got to the stage where we had an open day at Kobe Lodge. So he was one of a number of horses who had completed his retraining and was ready to go on to his new home. So TC came along and Warren and Bronwyn have an un indoor arena. So he did his work in the indoor arena and a lovely family who live locally, uh, mum and dad, and I think they have three children from memory, came along to the open day because they were looking for a new horse to join the family. They wanted an all-rounder who was going to be suitable for mum to ride, for adult riders, but for the children to ride as well. And the youngest of the children was Amelia, who I think was three or four at the time. So TC did his little demonstration and we were having a sort of question and answer session at the end of it. And I was out taking some photographs in the arena at the time and it was the most extraordinary thing I've ever seen. PC spotted this gorgeous little blonde dot in the crowd and he was mesmerised by her. He could not take his eyes off this little girl. And this little girl was mesmerised by TC as well. And after the demonstration had finished and the open day had finished, we brought Amelia in. And TC put his head down and just stood there. And Amelia was smooching with TC and giving him kisses and loving him. And these two just had this, it was like we were all just watching this magical experience. They had this connection that none of us had ever seen before. Wow. Amelia went home. She cried when she left because they couldn't take TC home. And she went home that night and she said to her mum, I don't want to have a bath tonight, mum. I don't want to wash off TC's kisses. Aww. Which was just beautiful. Anyway, she didn't stop talking about TC. And mum, Claire, came back a week or so later because the horse was effectively going to be her horse. And she said she needed to spend some time with TC because while it was lovely that he had this beautiful connection with Amelia, he was going to be the family's horse and principally her riding horse. So she needed to spend some time with him and see what she felt. Long story short, she fell absolutely head over heels in love with him as well. And as had been written in the stars, TC was going to be their family horse. So on Christmas Eve, just gone, TC went off to live with Claire and Amelia and her family. And it's just been the most beautiful fairy tale that you could imagine. TC, since he arrived, has been exactly the same as he was that day. Him and Amelia have this beautiful relationship where he looks for her. She spends every moment that she can out with him. He's quite a big horse. He's around 15 three hands. 
she's able to manage him. She can walk him around. She rides him. The other children ride him. Claire rides him. And he's an enormous part of their family. And he was actually featured in a photo shoot for the Herald Sun newspaper down here. And the pictures are extraordinary. I'm sure we'll have the opportunity to share them with your, um, your audience. And it was just the most beautiful thing. And it really epitomises what the Hero Program is all about. Taking a horse who had reached the end of his racing life, even though he was only a young horse, he didn't want to do it anymore. Racing owners and trainers who recognised that he was, he was over that component of his life, but he had so much more to offer. And then Hero being able to transition him and give him the opportunity to move on into what will be a long and very happy and healthy retirement. So it's, it just epitomises what we're about. Actually, as an interesting side note, I understand that presently, if it's not happened, it's about to happen. PC is going to feature in a movie, which is about a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so of course. Be, of course, because only those sort of things could happen to PC because he's one in a million. Wow. So, um, he's, he's very much one of our favourite stories. There are lots and lots of them, but the TC story has really captured a lot of hearts and it's, it's very, very dear to all of us at Hero. And have any standees gone on to do dressage? I heard you speaking about loads of other disciplines. There, there's definitely some um, down here at the moment who are doing um, three-phase um, competitions. So they're doing um, show jumping, cross-country and dressage. And certainly there are some low-level dressage horses out competing in HRCAV competitions. I've had um, a couple of ladies actually contact me in the past 12 months looking for a dressage-specific horse, and I've placed what I believe to be suitable horses with them. So I'm hoping that in the year ahead, there'll definitely some, be some more out there. They can do it. Um, rest assured that some of these horses have beautiful movement, and you would never believe um, that they come out of standard bred racing. Yeah. So I, I feel very confident that in the, um, the next 12 to 18 months, there's definitely going to be some more out and about. But at a low level, yes, we do have some hero horses out showing their dressage skills off. Mm, wonderful. We have a few locally here as well in the local equestrian group. There's a woman on there who does standy posts all the time on Facebook saying, bring out the standies, let's show everyone how great they are. So they are building a profile slowly but surely. Look, it's baby steps um, and it's horses for courses, which I say to everybody, um, standard breads aren't for everybody who wants to ride. It depends on what your uh, goals and ambitions are. But for there's a lot of people out there who just want to have a safe, sensible horse that they can jump on every couple of weeks and go down the road. There's also a lot of ladies out there who just want to be able to go out to a riding group or meet up with their girlfriend. And also the pony club market is one that we're definitely trying to tap more into because we are seeing a lot of um, pony club kids, perhaps not first riding horses, but, you know, kids coming off um, medium-sized ponies looking for their first big horse, definitely a standee is well-suited there as well. So if you, your ambitions are at a modest riding level um, or you're keen to take on a project and you want to put in the time and effort and be rewarded for it, um, there's no doubt that there is a place out there for the standees as riding horses. And if we do take on a standee and we're not part of the Hero Project, do we need to look for somebody as a trainer who's specifically able to take that standee from off the track through? Is it, do you need a specific type of trainer or is it something most trainers can do? I don't believe you do. You certainly need a trainer who is willing to work through um, and not going to go in with preconceived ideas of what a standard bread can or can't do. If you have a trainer who is willing to view your standard bread as they view any other horse and appreciate that the challenges and the training pickups that they have are horse related and not breed related, then you can definitely make some amazing progress with your horse. And I've been lucky enough that the trainers that I've worked with, and there's been quite a few of them, have been very open to working with standard breads. I know there are some out there who aren't interested and those that aren't interested are probably better off not doing it um, because I think they're always going to have preconceived ideas that are going to limit their ability to work through 
um, the challenges with the horses. Definitely um, standard bred specific three trainers, if you can find them, and train, train riding instructors um, will have an insight that might help you with some of the basic level um, challenges. But I don't think it's it's necessary to have a retrainer specifically. I do think it's always helpful um, to talk to other people who have had standard breads as riding horses, most definitely, um, because you'll often find that something that you're not so sure about um, is a common thing that other people will have some some really easy tips that will help you through it quite quickly. Mm. Brilliant. Well, they they sound too good to be true almost. <laughs> sometimes they are sometimes they are look yeah I, I'm incredibly biased um I did have an off-the-track thoroughbred a few years ago who I loved and adored but I described him as a standing in a thoroughbred body um because he was one in a million um I'm definitely biased I love all horses but I've spent all my life surrounded by standard breads and I just see the attributes that make them such an incredibly special horse and and I suppose I've seen um, how much you can open people's eyes by taking them out and physically showing them what these horses are about as well Um, and I don't think people appreciate they're definitely undervalued and underestimated. And if we want to get in touch with Hero or if we want to look at some of the horses you've got available where do we find you? Definitely um, the website is a great place to start, which is hrvhero.com.au, so a nice easy one. Um, I've got to be honest, I spend more time outside with horses and less time updating websites, but you've given me a good prompt to remind me that I need to update the horses that are available on there. Um, Facebook is a really, really valuable tool for us, and we're very, very active on Facebook, so I definitely encourage people to have a look at our Facebook page. Um, and that's under HRV Hero as well. We are active on Twitter and to a lesser degree Instagram as well. Um, but Facebook's definitely uh, the one that I'm, I'm best at probably. So um, between the website and Facebook, you'll have a really good understanding of who we are and what we're about. Fantastic. And what if I am up in Queensland? Is there, do we look under the Standard Bread Association of Australia to find ourselves similar things around other parts of Australia? There are a couple of organisations in Queensland who are active in the environment. One of them is AFTA, which is the Association for Trotters Exiting Racing. Mm-hmm. And there is also the Standard Bread Pleasure and Performance Horse Association of Queensland as well. Um, they are the two main organisations that I'm familiar with. I'm sure there are probably others. And I think there's been a movement within um, Racing Queensland as well to actually get an industry-based program up and running as well. So I would keep an eye out there. Um, Racing Queensland, have a look on their website and see what you can come up with. Great. So even if we're over in Western Australia or different places, we start with the racing body itself and... Definitely the racing body itself. Certainly Western Australia have a fantastic off-the-track program that covers thoroughbreds and standard breads. Tasmania, Tas Racing has just got up and running in the past 12 months and they're doing brilliant things down there. Um, It's probably fair to say the authorities in New South Wales and South Australia have been a little bit behind the eight ball, but there are active re-education and re-homing organisations in both of those states. Again, Standard Bread Pleasure and Performance Horse Association of is the one that you want to Google. And there are those in New South Wales and South Australia as well. And I should point out there's also one in Victoria as well that are very active, particularly in the showing environment. Mm, Fantastic. Well, Tanya, what's one thing you can leave us with today about our beautiful Standard Breads? I guess the the one thing that I would... um, leave you with is don't underestimate them give them a chance because they will reward you beautiful well tanya thank you so much for your time today it's been a pleasure speaking with you and uh, i know i'm looking forward to one day getting my standee out there i think he'd love to be a, a pleasure horse one day for now he's a happy paddock ornament and he's still letting down from his days in racing he's he hasn't had the the blessed life that a lot of your guys have but We'll get there in the end. 
I've got no doubt that you will. And when you do get out and about enjoying him, it will be a joy. Mm, beautiful. Well, thanks again for your time today, Tanya. And thanks for all the work that you're putting into what it is that you're doing. I know every one of these standees have a big thank you and a place in your heart for them as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's very much a team effort, uh, but I'm grateful to be leading what's a, a, a really, um, we're really proud of what we're doing, but it's it's the exposure and opportunity of um, activities such as this podcast that really help to build the profile. So I'm enormously grateful. Thank you. Mm, and it's really important what it is that you're doing. So keep up the great work. Much appreciated. If you'd like to get in touch with Tanya and the Hero Program and maybe get yourself a standard bread like me, then you can either follow the links in the show notes or you can go to the blog on my website where you can see photos of Tanya, Fred, Dave and TC and his newfound family. That's at comealongfortheride.com.au I'm on a mission to make the world a better place for horses. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts or tell your friends about the podcast. You will find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who might really want to listen but isn't sure how. I would really love it if you would get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed on the podcast. I have some wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as mine, so please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via the website or social media. Recently, I got an email from a lady in Western Australia. She wanted her name withheld as she is intensely private, which I respect, but she did say I could use her words as a testimonial. She writes, Hi Tracy, thank you. Your podcasts have re-inspired me with my horses so much. I've recently been getting more traditional help with my young whaler gelding Buzz, who is not short of personality, exactly like a huge, slobbery, friendly Labrador. But in my instructor's words, the most stubborn horse she's ever come across. We get frustrated with him, but I have noticed the softer I am mentally and physically, the more he responds in kind. And since listening to your podcasts, speaking of energy and changing oneself to help the horse, he is much more cooperative. I have a long way to go to change myself, but I am so inspired to do so for my horses and for myself, obviously. You've reminded me in your soft, intelligent way to use holistic methods to have better connection with Buzz in particular, and I am always listening to what he's telling me now, instead of being hung up on whether he's respecting me, to both our detriment. I am passionate once again about my horsemanship journey, so thank you for facilitating this unique approach and reminding people of the passion and natural connection they had with horses as children. Well, my heart's full that there's one horse in the world who is heard and has an owner brave enough to try a different, more compassionate way, all from the great podcast interviews I'm able to do. She sent me a, a photo of her horse, Buzz, and you can see him on my Facebook page. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride. <laughs>